Hello everybody and welcome back to episode number five of the Short Corner Podcast. I'm joined by the usual co-hosts Joe, Naeem, Samir and Rid. And today is a bit of a different episode. It's not going to be completely Milan-based. Um, we're joined by a very special guest, somebody who is a Canadian youth international, somebody who played professional football in Scotland and made his um, debut for one of the biggest clubs in Europe, Rangers, as a teenager. Um, we're very happy to welcome Luca Gasparotto. How are you, Luca? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Cool, nice to have you. So yeah, we're just going to um, talk about the Milan Udinese match uh, in uh, midweek. It was a bit of a disappointing result for uh, Milan. As someone who's um, who follows Udinese, what was your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's a disappointing result for both. I mean, uh, you know, going uh, into the last few minutes, we thought we had it wrapped up, and. Um, you know, a silly, silly handball, silly penalty. And, uh, you know, the points are shared in the end. But, I mean, um, you know, maybe you guys deserve to edge it out, although we did have one cleared off the line. I will uh, we'll give you that one. But uh, in the end, I mean, I think uh, both teams will be disappointed that they, they didn't come away with three points. Um, as a defender, what was going through your head when you saw the handball at the end? I still don't know what he was doing. I mean, it's uh, maybe you could say he got a, a little nudge in the back, but I mean, his hand should never be that high above his head. So, uh, you know, disappointing, especially that late in the game to concede with the, the last kick of the ball. But hey, um, in the end, it's still a point. Um, I think a bigger point for us than uh, than you guys. But, uh, you know, that's I think we're on a nice little run right now. Um yeah, they're playing right now. I was watching a bit of the game before I hopped on here. So uh, if they can get three points today, we're in a good spot. Um, in terms of Udinese again, we just wanted to ask how did you get around becoming a Udinese fan? If you have any story about that. Yeah, well, it comes from my dad, right? He's uh, He was... Uh, he grew up in uh, in a little town in northern Italy, not far from Udinese, uh, Udine, and uh, that was kind of his local team um, supporting when he grew up. So uh, he kind of just passed it down to me, and um, I mean, it only makes sense that I follow the same team that my uh, my dad, you know, his local team from when he was growing up in Italy. So that's kind of how I uh, uh, became an Udinese fan. More in the past couple of years, I've watched more and more in the past couple of years. Um, and especially this season, I think I've only missed a few games. So um, it's nice to have that, uh, you know, go around on Saturday, Sunday morning with my dad and, and watch the game. Um, you know, something that I enjoy doing. And uh, especially now, since they're not at the very bottom of the table, it's a bit more enjoyable too. So who's your current uh, favorite player at Udinese? I know you guys got De La Feu. He used to play for Milan. Mm-hmm. So who do you like at the team? Um, probably their best player, uh, Rodrigo De Paul, um, the Argentinian. But uh, I'm surprised he's still there. Him and the goalkeeper, I'm surprised they're both still there. Him and Musso. Uh, I yeah, thought they would have maybe in the summer moved on to uh, bigger clubs. But uh, you know, Houdinez is known for selling their players. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're still there. But I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, move on in the in the summer transfer window. Right. And another question was, um, so over the years, you guys have that Bruno Fernandez, uh, Di Natale, Alexis Sanchez, Alan, mm-hmm. you know, quite a few talented players. So who's your favorite player? Like, who do you, who would you make as the biggest loss? Does that make sense as, you know, in the recent years between Bruno, Sanchez and all these guys? Yeah, I think it'd have to be, 
the the little Italian guy up front, uh, Di Natale, when he retired. Um, I mean, one of the guys that was there for a long time, um, you know, banging in goals for for club and country. It was just a, a joy to watch. Um, when I was growing up, I would have been uh, a bit younger, but I remember watching the games, and uh, you know, he was always banging in goals for the for the team. So, um, but like I said, a lot of big name players that they have have done well selling and moving on and. Like I said, they're known as a seller, and uh, they produce players. They find uh, good talent with their with their scouting system, and they move them on. And uh, they've been doing that for years. And uh, it's it's amazing how they're able to sustain, you know, mid table finishes when they're uh, selling off all their best players year year in year out. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, can't complain so far this season. We're on a nice little run. I think uh, you know, we've had a tough schedule as well, but uh, I think we're unbeaten in the last. Apart from the Roma game, four or five, maybe five, six. So, yeah, it's not too bad. Nice time to be a fan right now. Yeah. Um, so, if anyone else doesn't have any Udinese-related questions, we're going to move on to the interview questions that we have for you. Yep. So, Matt, take us away. Yeah, so, um, starting at the beginning, we've spoken on a couple of podcasts. We had an, uh, an American uh, guest on, an American Milan fan, and we talk about football in North America, Naeem Kambachri, um Although it's growing now, especially when you were growing up, perhaps um, it wasn't as it wasn't as popular. So, we're just wondering, like, how did you get into football, and how would you compare maybe the quality of football then, and how many people were playing, how many young Canadian kids were playing now compared to uh, then? Sorry, compared to now, and yeah, how you got into it, really. Oh, I got into football through my dad. He uh, he used to play semi-professional in Canada. I think. Uh, one of the like Toronto Blizzard or one of those teams when back in the day. So he, uh, he got me in at a very young age. He was always the coach. He coached me from when I was, you know, five, six playing Timbits to uh, just before I moved overseas at 16. So he was always there um, every step of the way. Uh, same with my mother. She was uh, there supporting me driving me all over the place. Um, but ultimately it was my, uh, my dad who, who got me into football at an early age. And, Back then, I mean, the, the main team in Canada was freaking Toronto Lynx. So, I mean, it, it shows how far we've come uh, from back in back at those times. And uh, it's great to see the sport building. Um, a lot more more younger kids are getting involved in soccer instead of, you know, going the normal route with hockey. Um, and, uh, I mean, you just have to look at our national team and the, the players we have right now and the players that are, um, wanting to play for our country. I mean, back in the day, you know, if you had the choice, you look at Owen Hargreaves, play for England or, or go play for Canada. And obviously, you're going to choose England. And nowadays, you know, you have players who have that choice and they're, they're coming to represent Canada. So um, that just shows how far we've come and um, how, the, the, the right direction that we're heading. In. Um, and it helps now that we have the professional league in Canada. Although it's still growing and still in the early stages, it's a great platform uh, for, for young Canadian players. And, uh, you know, younger fans are able to get out and see these games and, and want to follow in the, in the footsteps. And it's making them want to become... Uh, professional soccer players as well so I mean it's it's night and day from you know even five ten years ago uh, how far we've come um, yeah um, so the next question is uh, you mentioned that you moved overseas when you were 16 to join Rangers obviously um, at age 16 when like Rangers being one of the biggest club approaches you it's I can imagine being a you know a something I would say so we just wanted to ask how did that come about how did you feel when you got the message or whatever it was saying Rangers was interested 
So it came about, um, this would have been after the uh, Under-17 World Cup. So uh, this was in 2011, and I just we just finished playing in the Under-17 World Cup in Mexico. And maybe a couple months later, I got a few trial offers over in the UK. Um, so me and my dad, we flew over to, first we went to England, and I trained with Watford for, uh, I think, a week and a half, two weeks. And... Uh, from then, we drove up to the to Scotland, and I trained with Rangers for a couple of weeks as well. And this would have been when they were in preseason, so I spent uh, the two weeks of preseason with them. And after the two weeks, they uh, the the head guy there brought me in and said, "Look, we're, we want to offer you a, a three year contract. Um, to, you know, start out with the uh, the under 16s, and then you know, eventually you try to work your way up." So um, that's kind of how it came about. I move I. Came back uh, to Toronto, packed all my stuff, and then uh, two weeks later, I flew back over and, and started uh, my career over there. So it kind of happened really quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, at that age, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, once it came around, I was super excited to, uh, you know, start that part of my life and, and the new chapter over in, in the UK. Oh, uh, was it uncommon for players, Canadian players? We know you're friends with Michael Petrov, so he went to Queen's Park Rangers instead mm-hmm. of uh, playing straight in the MLS. Do you think uh, it, it was really uncommon for Canadian players to really, you know, take risks and go over to Europe and, you know, test out their skills? Yeah, it's difficult. Like did. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, there's only a handful um, that are able to do it, especially with the whole, you know, I was lucky I had a, an Italian passport, so I had that. Um, covered and I was able to move over and, and live, but it's hard for a lot of players that don't have that European citizenship to uh, to actually get over there. And I mean, nine times out of ten, if if a coach is looking at um, a player, and uh, you know you have one Scottish player and one Canadian player, both the same level, uh, you know they're going to go for the, the the Scottish player. So you have to offer something different. You have to be um, better talent wise, you know, than the local players. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's difficult for, for Canadians um, to, to get overseas. And that's why I think it was important that we had our um, Canadian League, um, you know, up and running and giving these players that aren't able to play professional overseas uh, a chance and a platform to play professionally in their, uh, their home markets. So um, very important, uh, especially now. So do you think it's more common now with the Canadian players going over, like, you know, Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies made a move over there. So do you think it's growing now that Canadians are trying, you know, to test their skills in Europe to see how they stack up against the Europeans? Is it more common now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it helps that, you know, these clubs are seeing the Jonathan Davids and the, the Alfonso Davis and like, oh, okay, Canada can produce these players and they're they're looking more... Um, you know, they're focusing more on the younger players coming out of Canada as they may, might not have been doing that before. Um, and, you know, they're, they're offering more Canadians trials and, and trainings over in Europe. And I know a lot of clubs now have partnerships with team in, uh, in, in you know, in Europe. We look at uh, the Ottawa team and, and the CPL, uh, you know, they have a, a partnership with Atletico Madrid and, you know, that's huge. And I think, uh, you know, I'm sure if there's ever a, uh, a team expansion coming into Quebec, they'll have an affiliation with uh, a team in France. And that's great for, you know, in the off season, getting some, you know, younger Canadian players over and, and 
training and putting them in that environment and uh, you know hopefully uh, they can test themselves against uh, you know European players and a higher level and higher standard to see where they're at and uh, I think um, more more and more Canadians are going to find their way overseas um, it's just a matter of time. Yeah uh, so talking about when you actually went to Rangers a young 16 year old from halfway across the world coming to Scotland um, how was it settling in was there any uh, because I, I read that you had to combine your studies over there because you didn't go all in on football and uh, yeah was there any um, people helped you out settle and yeah just what was it like at such a young age moving to another continent and having to yeah almost start life again and yeah learn everything all over again really yeah it's uh, you know a lot of emotions it's exciting first and foremost um, you know that's what I wanted to do um, at the same time, you know, you're a 16 year old kid. I just came out of grade 10, and you know, I'm moving halfway across the world, uh, and uh, that's pretty, pretty nerve wracking, pretty scary. At the same time, you know, away from my family, away from my friends, basically starting a, a new life. Uh, you know, got to make new friends. You got to uh, try to figure out the accent that they're speaking. <laughs> I know it's English, but it's it's not English, so uh, it's uh, it's pretty difficult in that sense. But I mean, uh, since uh, since the day I got over there, you know, they made me feel welcome. Uh, the coaches, the other players. Uh, I lived with a, a billet family who were, were super nice and you know uh, helped me with you know my cooking, my cleaning, and all that. So I was with them for for my first three years over there before I got my own place, and they were a massive help, just helping me settle in. Um, and in terms of school, I mean, I wouldn't really call uh, call it school. We went for an hour a week. Um, to the local the local school there so I mean it's pretty hard to pass a class when you're going for an hour a week um, so I think that was just a mandatory thing we had to do for our first couple of years but after the first two years it was just uh, uh, soccer pretty much every day even even before that I was from the first day I got there you know we were training uh, four or five days a week from you know eight in the morning till three in the afternoon so it was pretty much a full-time job at the uh, at the age of 16 so uh, in that sense it was pretty cool but like I said once I got settled in um, you know learned the way of life over there um, made friends it was uh, much more pleasant and enjoyable than you know just being a, a, a lonely Canadian kid not knowing what to do with themselves over there so it was uh, it turned out really well. Um, yeah the next question is um, regarding de debut for both country and Rangers so we would just want to know um, you know how do you feel to make a debut both for your national team at the youth uh, level and for Rangers uh, I think you made your debut at 18 mm -hmm. so how did you feel and how did you find the how did you find out that you were making your debut and what was going through your head pretty much yeah it was it was exciting I mean uh, towards the end of that season after all our financial problems that's where we found ourselves in the uh, we went down to the the fourth division uh, in Scotland and uh, I mean, it was a great opportunity for the younger kids like myself, um, you know, to be given a chance to play. And at the end of that season, we already had the title uh, wrapped up. And I think the last five games, uh, the f four of them, I came on as a sub. And then the last day of the season, we uh, we had our home game and it was the title day. We were going to lift the trophy at the end of the game. And uh, we had a home game against uh, Barrick, maybe Barrick. And uh you know, there was 56,000 people there and um, I was, you know, 18 years old, just nervous, didn't eat anything in my pre-match meal, you know, just uh, quiet and, uh, you know, walking through that tunnel. 
um, just hearing the noise and seeing all the fans. I think the first, you know, five, 10 minutes of the game, you know, that dry mouth feeling where you just, you can't get anything out. You can just, uh, you couldn't talk. And it was just uh, incredible just taking in all the scenes. But you know, after the first couple of minutes, you settle down and, and you get into the game. And after your first pass, your first tackle, you're, it's, uh, it's back to normal. And uh, I mean, that was an incredible day getting to lift the trophy after the, after that game and, making my debut in front of 50 I think it was 58,000 fans um at that age it was just incredible and um forever thankful and grateful for that opportunity that I had and uh you know that was uh something I got a bit more of the following season and ultimately went on a loan um and and applied my trade at a few different other clubs in Scotland so um, and then, yeah, in terms of the national team, it was uh, that was obviously one of my goals growing up was to represent Canada, and, and uh, luckily I was able to do it at multiple levels. Um, got to play with and against a lot of great players, and uh, you know, travel um, and see a lot of the world at the same time. I mean, that's a great part of football is you get to see all these different places and play against all these different teams, and it's just uh, you know, lots of great memories from uh, from playing. There's a picture of uh, you and Raheem Sterling. Uh, we reckon that you'd uh, you'd get to beat on him this time if you came up against him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a very flattering picture. You know, he's leaving me in his dust. But uh, hey, I'll I'll take a picture with Raheem Sterling in any way possible. Right. Um. There's some other players on that England team. Um. I think it was Nate Redmond, Daniel Chalaba. So, what was like uh, playing against those players? Like, what? Well, how different was? How different were those players compared to the Canadian team you were on? In terms of you know, everything. Yeah. Well, for a lot of us, I mean, at that age, we were uh, like 14 and 15, and we were only playing locally. I think we had one player playing in France. And I mean, we weren't used to, you know, the speed, the technicality of, of these players. And I mean, they were all playing in Premier League youth systems at the time. Um, so, you know, there was a very big difference in, in standard and technical ability um, at that age. And uh, I mean, it was incredible playing against some of these players. And, you know, you see where they're at now and, and to be... To be able to say that you shared a pitch and played against them was pretty, uh, pretty crazy, and especially getting our first point at, at a World Cup, at an Under-17 World Cup against England, um, you know, that was an incredible moment as well. And uh, I don't know if you guys seen the highlights of that game, but our goalie actually scored the, the tying goal in, I think, the 87th minute from his own end. He, he uh, played a long ball, it bounced through everybody and went over, I think it was Jordan Pickford's head, so uh, he was the goalie that day. But uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was something else. If you guys have time, go search up the search up the highlights for that game. That was pretty incredible. So yeah, yeah. So what was it like when um, in that you talked about maybe being a bit um, overawed by the occasion when uh, the trophy lift at Rangers with loads of fa- uh, loads of fans there? It's a big moment for a big club. What was it like in that dressing room? There's like Annie McCoist is the manager, um, a Rangers legend. A lot of um, obviously relegated down three tiers to the fourth division um what was it like um in like regarding pressure and what was the manager's expectations and how did you fit in amongst the social groups in the changing room like the likes of Liam Kelly were there um Lee Wallace who both gone on to play for Queen's Park Rangers so yeah what was it like as a teenager fitting into a adult professional environment like that First and foremost, they all made me feel very welcome. You know, these senior guys and, and the coaching staff. I mean, Ali McCoist, uh, 
the Rangers legend, him and Ian Durant. So uh, they were the coaches at that time, and you know they made me feel very welcome. Um, and it was obviously a tough time uh, to be a Rangers fan at that point uh, after everything we went through. So, you know, to be able to win uh, that first season, we went down to the bottom league. Um, to be able to win and, and to lift the trophy, you know, you could see the, the relief and the, the positivity among the Rangers fans, you know, after going through what we did to have that. And, uh, you know, brought the spirits up a bit and there was, uh, you know, kind of a setup of what to look forward to. Um, and I mean, lifting the trophy was, was awesome. And I think I, I cramped up with maybe five minutes, 10 minutes to go in that game. So I wasn't moving very quickly in the lap of honor, but, uh, um, you know, clapping in front of 50, 58,000 fans and, uh, you know, them singing and cheering and, and then getting back into the dressing room and, uh, you know, continuing the, the cheers and the, and the singing and, you know, being in the pictures with all these guys, it was just, you know, it was an unbelievable day. And I have lots of pictures and, and memories that I'll, I'll hold forever from that day. So you had a lot of uh, loan spells uh, for different uh, teams in Scotland when, when you were there. Um, you actually played for um, sort of my local team uh, in Stirling. Um, so... Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, what was it like sort of living in that part of the world? Like, yeah, like, you know, or like, you know, experiencing, you know, going around the country, like, did you enjoy, did you have any, like, favourite loan spells or, you know, favourite favorite bits? Yeah, well, uh, funny enough that uh, that loan spell at Sterling was my first, uh, I was, I was, this was before I made my debut, I think. And uh, so that loan spell was during the Christmas break. So during the Christmas break, um, the under-20s and the under-18s, which I was playing at, at the time, uh, they didn't have any games. So they sent me out on loan for a month to get first-team experience with Sterling Albion. And sure enough, my first you know professional game with Sterling Albion, I get sent off in the 70th minute, 60, 65th minute in the, in the second half, gave away a penalty, sent off. And, uh, and it was only a month loan, so I was maybe getting four or five games in this month loan. So I got sent off my first game, suspended the second game, ended up playing, I think, three games of Sterling Albion, but, you know, did well. And uh, I really enjoyed my time there. But it was ultimately the, the following season where I went out to Airdrie on loan. I spent the full season there, you know, played uh, every game uh, that I was available to with them. Ended up picking up uh, player of the year and young player of the year that season. And, um, you know, um, that was a really enjoyable, enjoyable season there. Um, you know, getting that taste of first team football and uh, playing week in, week out at that level was, was very good for my, my experience and uh, my growth and, uh, you know, kind of getting me prepared for that first team life. And then, um, and at that time, it was, you know, it was hard to crack into the Rangers first team, you know, being a young kid and, you know, the competition for places. So um, it was, it was um, vital for myself in terms of the development to get out on loan and, and be playing regularly. And um, so the following season, I spent at Morton and uh, once again, did very well there. really enjoyed my time there. And, uh, and then after that season, my contract at Rangers and it ran out. And uh, I signed two years at uh, Falkirk and uh, spent two, two years at Falkirk there and then uh, another half season on loan at Morton and then uh, ended up coming back to Canada. And that's kind of my time in Scotland. So, you know, 
able to progress through the youth, youth ranks, get that first team football experience. You know, it was always going to be difficult to to crack it at Rangers. You know, realistically, um, just with, as they went up and uh, the the leagues, they were bringing in you know more experienced players and and, and better players, and it was hard for a, you know a young Canadian kid to crack that uh, that first team lineup regularly. So. Um, I, I applied my trade in the in this you know championship in Scotland, which was a good a good level, uh, full time football, and uh, you know that's kind of where I uh, ended up for most of my time there. But you know, like I said, really enjoyed it. Uh, my loan spells and my two years at Falkirk were very enjoyable. Um, made lots of friends. That, you know, I still keep in touch with today, and uh, you know, lots of great memories um, from playing in in that in that time there. Um, speaking of uh, which, uh, center backs don't really rotate into the team much, if that makes sense. So, you know, maybe Fikayo Tomori is feeling the same way you are because he's trying to get in. I had Romero, who's Italian, and he's a captain. And he's English. He's the outsider there. So, and mm-hmm. on top of that, his position, like maybe the forwards change, the wingers get injured, they get fatigued. Like it's easier to sub a winger or a striker than the two center backs that are playing every game. So maybe he can kind of relate to what you went through. The center back trying to get into the team week in, week out. It's very hard, right? It's very hard. And like I said before, you know, if you got two players of equal quality and, you know, one's Italian and one's English, they're going to go nine times out of ten the Italian. Um, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's necessarily right, but that's just the way it is, especially in uh, a lot of places in Europe. They're, they're going to go with their, you know, local guy, um, before they put a foreigner in, um, but I mean at the same time, you know, it, it, it's uh, it should motivate you to you know keep working hard and and to get better so that um, when the manager decides, uh, you know, who am I going to play, it should be an easy decision to put the uh, the foreigner in instead of you know always going with the uh, the homegrown guy. So yeah, like it's uh, it's relatable, I'm sure for him. Um, and, and a lot of players go on to play different parts of the country, and that's why you need to have a little bit of, uh, you know, that extra bit um, to be able to come in and to be able to take a spot away from one of the homegrown guys. Yeah, you uh, spoke about leaving Rangers, and um, we saw on Twitter that the, um, the messages um, from the fans on Twitter was all positive, wishing you the best of luck. Like, can you sort of describe Rangers as like a, like as a club how does it feel to be a part of it like is it such a it seems from the outside like quite a wide family and how did it feel to be part of that and how was it leaving and taking that next step to Falkirk yeah I mean uh, I've got nothing but great things to say about the Rangers fans I mean they're one of the best if not the best in the world and uh, I don't know if you guys saw before their game today they were packing the streets in Glasgow just outside Ibrox you know they couldn't get in but uh you know, they were there two hours before the game with flares and uh, um, all that before. So, I mean, it was it was difficult to, you know, leave, but I, I got a lot of great messages and positive messages from the Rangers fans, you know, thanking me for my time there and wishing me all the best. So, um, but yeah, like I said, they're, they're some crazy, crazy fans. And uh, just uh, even even at the youth level, I mean, you'd have we'd, we'd be playing Celtic at an under twenty game, and you'd have two, three thousand fans come out and you know setting off flares and dancing for the ninety minutes, and at an under twenty game, I mean, it was it was insane. But uh, you know, it makes it much more enjoyable to be able to play in front of these in these crazy fans, and that's kind of what you want to do. 
Um, but yeah, like I said, nothing but positive things to say about the Rangers fans, and I'm glad they're they're able to you know be be celebrating now. I mean, they went through a lot of hard times, and they stuck stuck by the club, and uh, you know it's it's great to see them being able to finally. Uh, get back to where they belong and, and to, to celebrate properly. Um, I think they need one more point to, to clinch the league title. So um, that'll be a great uh, a great sight to see once it uh, once it comes along. So you eventually, as, as you said, you went back, came back to Canada, and you eventually um, joined your hometown team. And just wanted to ask, how does it feel to be able to represent your hometown team, represent Canadian football, which obviously. It's slowly growing now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how did that feel? Yeah, I think uh, it was always a goal of mine. It was always kind of, I wanted to come back and, and play at home. And uh, once I heard of the Canadian Premier League, you know, early days in the works, you know, it was a great opportunity for myself to be able to come back home and play. And uh, being able to play in front of friends, in front of family, um, was something that I always wanted to be able to do. And, um you know, I heard of the interest in, uh, from York. Um, I knew the assistant coach at the time, Karma Sacco, really well. And, uh, you know, from from when I heard they were interested, it was a no-brainer for me to come come back and, uh, and represent uh, York. And uh, to be able to play the first couple seasons with them and, and to be able to be a part of the new league and... Uh, you know, being being the only one to play in every single game um, for for the first two seasons was uh, very special for me. And um, being one of the captains and playing in that inaugural match and you know, a lot of great memories from my uh, my two years at York. And um, you know, very very thankful for the opportunity that the the, the club gave me and uh, that the uh, the leagues giving these young players that want to come through and, and play that professional environment so it's been great to see how far we've come in the first two years and um, you know the potential the long-term potential of the league and uh, where we can end up so um, definitely be keeping tabs on that from now on um, I'll uh, I'll continue to hopefully get out to some games and, and to, to follow along with the, the team and the league and, and hopefully continue to see it grow. So, Luca, you have a close route to Toronto. Um, you, we know you have a Toronto tattoo with the CN Tower. So what could you tell us a bit more about that? You know, your roots are really close to home. Yeah, I got it done when I was playing in Scotland. Um, I can't remember what age, maybe 19, 20. And, uh, yeah, it's just the Toronto skyline, just something different, something unique and, you know, representing where I'm from. Um, I'm, I'm very big on uh, – I'm a very big homebody and, uh, you know, I, uh, I love where I'm from and very thankful for the country and place that we, uh, we live in. So, um, you know, decided to, to get the, uh, the Toronto skyline with some, you know, I got some other stuff on my arm, but, uh, yeah, it was a very, uh, um, represented home. So, um, it was nice to be able to get that done and the, uh, the tattoo artist over there, she did a great job. So I'm um, very thankful that she didn't, you know, mess it up. <laughs> um, so this is a question from one of our followers, Farinha. So shout out to Farinha. And he wanted to ask you what the main differences between being a professional and an amateur footballer is or are. And do you think people underestimate um, what being, you know, a lower league footballer sometimes might be? Because I think a lot of people think, Oh, footballer, so it for life. You know, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people don't really realize the uh, the grit and grind you have to go through um, being a professional footballer. And uh, there's a there's a lot of differences between semi-pro and pro. Um, the most the, the main one being you know professionals full time. Um, you know, you're you're training every day. You're in at eight and you're leaving at four, like any other uh, full time job. Um, uh, semi-professional, you know. Especially, you know, when I was in, in Scotland, and I think uh, the majority of the uh, League One and League Two teams were, um, you know, semi-pro part-time. And uh, a lot of these other guys, you know, they're working they're working another job during the day, and then they're going to train at night um, a couple times. So I think a lot of people don't really understand that, uh, you know, they think it's all glam, but, uh, you know, you're... You're training, you have one month off a year if that. Uh, you're in everyday training, um, the traveling, um, you know, you don't really have much of a social life. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, you, you go to training, you come home, you, you chill, you eat dinner, you go to bed and you, you get up and do the same thing the next day. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a, a very... Um, you know, different life than a lot of people make it out to be. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to, um, I got to, to see both the professional and the part-time when I was over there. Um, one of the, the teams I was at, ARG was part-time at the time. So, you know, they, they only train Tuesdays and uh, Thursday nights. And uh, it's, it's difficult uh, to prepare, especially if you're playing, you know, if you have a weekend game against a team that's training five days a week, Monday to Friday, and, and you're only getting, you know, two sessions in a week, um, you know, you'd say there's a big disadvantage there. So uh, that's one of the big, big differences over there. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, football is a good life, but it's not what a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah, I wonder, if, like, what advice would you give to any kids who wants to become a footballer? Just, uh, you know, the standard work hard and, and uh, you know, if you have, uh, first and foremost, if you have the uh, the drive and the ability, then uh, there's no reason why you can't uh, get to where you want to be. And uh, um, if I could, you know, go back and, and do something differently, do it again, I, I spend more time uh, training outside of training, if you know what I mean, just on my own. Um, you know, in my backyard, kicking a ball against the wall, you know, throwing a ball up and controlling it with my left foot, my right foot, working on my, my weak foot, um, you know, just doing extra when nobody's nobody's watching, you know, that's kind of the big thing. Um, and you can, what do you, if I could tell a kid, you know, what are you going to do that's going to differentiate you from the kid standing next to you? If you guys are both the same talent level, what are you going to do that's going to make you the better player than the kid next to you. You get what I'm saying? You know, the kind of the the little things you do behind the scenes when no one's watching and, and the, the little things that can make you a, a better player. So uh, recently, uh, I believe you've retired from professional football, right? Um, uh, I was wondering how, how are you finding your new, uh, your new sort of adventures to new, this lovely chapter of your life? Yeah. With, uh, is it you've become a, a barbarist now, right? Arborist, yeah. Um, Arborist, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been, um, you know, obviously wasn't an easy decision. And when I just, when I didn't, you know, I, just, I didn't wake up one morning and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to retire tomorrow. Um, obviously, I was uh, uh, thinking about it for, for a while and, you know, making sure I had a plan 
um, for when I did retire. And, uh, you know, luckily I was able to get in with an arborist company. This is, uh, you know, something I wanted to do, something I, I had a passion for. And, um, you know, I wanted to find a job where I was able to work outside, able to, to remain active. And uh, um, it's a different job every day. You know, a lot of people in these jobs are doing the same thing every day and uh, I couldn't do that. So um, I was lucky enough. I think I'm seven months in now working with a company and they've been great. You know, they've taught me a lot um, full time, uh, full time hours. And it's been very, very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, in terms of retiring, I mean, it was very difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, I had to to think of, you know, looking long term, uh, what the right decision will be for my long term uh, career and long term financial security. And, uh, you know, I think the Canadian Premier League, it's still growing. And it's, uh, you know, more for the young Canadian players, the players that are um, you know, still living at home with their parents, don't have uh, mortgages and car expenses. And, uh, you know, they're just starting to get into the professional life. And I mean, I, I know I'm only 25, but I've got a mortgage, I've got a car, and uh, I need to I need to make the decision that would benefit me f for my long-term, like I said, career-wise and financial security. So um, that was uh, ultimately what led me to my decision to retire and uh to pursue a different career path and uh so far i mean it's been it's been excellent it's been very enjoyable um you know being able to it, it's always a bit you know nerve-wracking and, and scary to you know trying something completely new it's basically like restarting so uh um but so far it's been really good so far it's been uh you know better than i uh, expected it to be and you know, it's, uh, you never know if you're going to actually like it. You think, you think you can, you know, can I see myself in this? But it's not until you actually do it that you're like, okay, good. I, I like this. I'm good at this. And I can see myself doing this long time. So um, I lucked out in that regard. Yeah. So you've um, stopped being a professional footballer, but you've obviously, as we can tell by your jacket there, you're still involved in uh, football in some capacity. Uh, what's that like coaching? And yeah, what's it like being involved in um, coaching yeah, and what sort of age groups do you coach and how are you finding it yeah so right now I'm uh, I'm doing coaching on the weekends just with there's a new program here at, uh, it's kind of a expansion on the FC Durham Academy um, my dad's a coach in the academy and um, I'm basically working with this new program called FC Durham Plus and it's uh, essentially a program for beginners and uh, you know players that are playing in their clubs that aren't necessarily getting the extra training. You know, they can train two, two times a week with their club, but uh, now we offer this program if they want, you know, another day a week, uh, small groups. So it's easy to work with and, uh, you know, we can focus on the players instead of having 20 players out and, you know, you're not able to get the proper training because there's so many players. And uh, so, yeah, Saturday mornings, I work with the uh, the beginners and intermediates, and they're ranging from 7 to 10 years old. Um, and then Sundays, um, we have a position-specific training. So, um, once again, there's beginner groups uh, and uh, intermediate groups, and I work with the uh, wing backs, the center mids, and the center backs. So I do, I think, th three one-hour sessions on Sunday nights, um, just working with these players. Once again, small groups that we can really focus on and target the uh, 
the individual to uh, you know better uh, help them understand their position and to go into that position with proper training. Um, just going back to Scottish football, you did play with Fraser Aird, uh, uh-huh. the former Canadian international. So, um, what was it like? Uh, do you still talk to Fraser, and uh, how was it like settling in with them back at Rangers? Yeah, we still keep in touch. Uh, I've known Fraser for a long time. We used to play against each other at club level. Um, I was in Ajax and he was in Pickering. So we grew up, you know, from 10 years old playing against each other. And then we ended up playing with each other at Rangers. I think he signed for the academy three months prior to to, to me arriving. And uh, we actually lived together with the same Billet family. Um, and we both, uh, we both lived together for the three years with the family. And then he moved out and then I moved out and... Uh, yeah, we still kept in touch. We ended up playing at Falkirk together for half a season. Um, we were involved with the, the national team as well. Um, I remember we, we ended up playing Scotland in Scotland, which was pretty cool. Um, we were both uh, in that squad against the Scottish national team. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's made his way over back home to Canada too. I think he's he's now in Edmonton uh, for the upcoming season. So um, be keeping tabs on him and uh, like I said I'll be keeping tabs on the league as well but uh, yeah we've come a long way together and uh, it's great to see him still playing and uh, you know he had a lot more uh, first team experience with the Rangers he played a lot of games and uh, with the first team um, I think it's maybe easier for a, for an attacker for a winger to you know get regular game time but uh, you know he uh, he um, he was a long diehard Rangers fan, so he got to live that childhood dream to play for his boyhood club, and uh, it was great to see him, great to be part of that uh, journey with him. Um, so, what do you think about Jared's Rangers? Who's your favorite player in the squad right now? Ryan Kent, Yanis Hagi, James Spania. Um, I don't know. I'm going to be boring and say they're they're, they're center back Connor Goldson. <laughs> I mean. Uh, He's a brick wall back there. Um, their left back as well, Beresic. He's with the Croatian national team. He's uh, got a wicked left foot. So, um, yeah, it's great to like I said, it's great to see them back where they belong and, and doing well. And um, Gerard's got them playing some really good football, uh, not only domestically, but uh, they're now into, I think, the round of 16 in the uh, Europa League as well. So, I mean, it's a great achievement for, uh, for a team coming out of Scotland. And, uh, you know, Hopefully they can progress further, and uh, it'll be nice to see them lift the trophy once they get uh, one more point. Um, talking about Jared, I think you one mentioned they were also Liverpool fans. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I'm okay, Liverpool so fan. so what are your thoughts on Liverpool? And obviously, I well, like to it right now that I'm a Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, us as AC Milan fans, when we think of Liverpool, we think of 2005 and 2007, yeah. Istanbul and Athens. Yeah. So we just wanted to get your thoughts if you were able to see the games, the thoughts on the games, and then just Liverpool in general currently, although they've been having a couple of bad months, they've been doing really well the past few years. Yeah, I think I, uh, I haven't watched many games this year. Uh, just, you know, it's not really going the, the right way this season. Um, we'd be lucky if we get a top four spot right now, but... Uh, I don't know. I think uh, when you when you lose your, your your two best center backs and that early on in the season, you know, presence even the presence of Virgil Van Dijk is a a lot to handle for opposition teams. And you know, you have two center mids playing center back, and uh, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. And um, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I've been a Liverpool fan since I was young. Um, Steven Gerrard's 
biography was actually the first, you know, big kid book I actually ever read. Um, and, uh, you know, watching them back in the day with Gerard and Carragher, Suarez and Torres, it was, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of great memories. And it's nice that, you know, in the past couple of years, we, we kind of got back to that level that we were once at. And um, I know it's been disappointing this year, but, um, you know, I'm sure uh, with the players they have and hopefully Van Dyke back next year that uh, we can make a run at the uh, Champions, well, maybe Europa League, but uh, um, yeah, we'll see. Well, speaking of Jeremy Carragher, uh, who are your top three players that you modeled your own personal game after going growing up? Who do you look up to? Could be one player, really. Uh, Paolo Maldini. You guys will all be happy with that. <laughs> Love that. Him and, uh, him and Cannavaro were the uh, the two I kind of watched when I was growing up, and um, he's just an absolute machine back there, and uh, you know, durable. Um, you know, a leader. Um, that's kind of what I, I aspired to be when I was was growing up. And you know, same with Carragher, just an absolute unit, no nonsense defender. Uh, get the job done, keep the ball out of the back of the net, and uh, you know, break some legs. No, I'm joking. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, those are kind of the, the two I, I model my game after. And my my nono is a big uh, a big Milan fan, so I remember when I was you know six, seven, eight years old, I go around and watch the games with him and. Typical Italian, uh, just shouting at the TV and um, you know for the for the ninety minutes and swearing in Italian and I had no idea what was going on. So, uh, but yeah, I remember the you know those players uh, Gattuso and uh, Pirlo and and all them. So some good memories watching those games. But uh, yeah, Maldini was probably my uh, my favorite defender growing up. Well, we were obviously all of us were too young to actually watch the 2005 and 2007 game. Did you actually manage to catch those ones? Since you're a bit older than us, I know I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch that live, but I've, I think I've seen it maybe a hundred times on YouTube. So I'm <laughs> just rewatching that. But uh, you know, that was that was a crazy game. That would have been crazy to to witness live, even just on the tele, on the television. But uh, it's it's crazy. You know, that's just football for you. Anything can happen, and that's why it's the the greatest the greatest sport in the world. I mean. So unpredictable, and uh, you know, I was one of the you know greatest matches I've uh, I've seen highlights of. So um, just you know, incredible what happened that day. Um, who's your current favorite player? Does anyone who's playing currently who you think is great that you just personally really like? Um, no, I don't really think I have a current favorite player. Um, no, I wouldn't say I have a favorite player. Um, you know, I enjoy watching the superstars like everyone else does, you know, the Messi's, the Ronaldo's and all that. But uh, I wouldn't say I got a, a favorite player. Apart from Roberto Pereira. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so another question was, uh, so you're looking at these Jonathan Davies and then um, Alfonso Davies and these Canadian kids just actually doing bits, you know, Davies won the treble. I think. Do you think he's the only player to have won the treble in Canadian football history? So, do you think this could pave the way for young Canadian players growing up? You know, they're looking at David and David say, "Hey, I can be one of them." So, what do you think about our next generation going into the twenty twenty six World Cup, seeing you know these fantastic players? Absolutely. Like I said earlier, I think um, you know a lot of these younger players. That's kind of 
it's it's what they want to do when they grow up. You know, they're seeing the success that David and and uh, and Davis and uh, the national team where we're at now, and they kind of want to you know, want to be a part of that. And I think it's huge that we're getting the uh, the World Cup in 2026. And um, I'm sure by that time all this will be done, and we'll be allowed to have fans at the game. So hopefully, a lot of you know younger players uh, get out to those games and and see you know the level and and um, soccer in Canada where it's come and, and you know want to be a part of that one day and like I said earlier I think a lot of you know scouts over in the UK and in, in Europe are seeing what Canada has produced and they're looking for those next uh, that next batch of Davis Davises and uh, Davids um, to you know make that jump overseas and they kind of put us on the map in a, in a way um, and uh, hopefully they'll be able to pave um the pathway for the next generation of players uh, that have that talent and have that level that will work hard to get to where they they ultimately are right now. Well, actually, I've, I've, I've got a question. What, would, uh, what do you think about Scottish cuisine compared to Canadian? Like, how's the food over there? Cuisine? Oh, they deep fry everything. <laughs> yeah, there, there isn't a Scottish cuisine. That's, that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, it's uh, a lot of the same stuff. I, I'll admit that I do like haggis. And uh, I don't know if Joe, you're a big haggis guy, no? No, I'm a vegetarian, basically, so it's uh, <laughs> so, no, there you go. no way for me. Yeah, I ended up trying haggis over there, and I really liked it. It's uh, big with their breakfasts and, uh, mm. for some reason, so, um, yeah, that was one of the... What, 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 is, what is haggis? Can you, can you tell us what that is? sheep intestine, if I'm... Yeah, correct. it's really gross. <laughs> Yeah, like sheep intestines with some spices and stuff. But yeah, it was good. It tasted really good. <laughs> I mean, I like to try new stuff, but uh, I'll pretty much eat anything except uh, onions and mushrooms. So um, yeah, it was intriguing, but apart from that, I mean, it's pretty much same stuff, just a lot more uh, deep fried and um, oil. I guess they use a lot more oil in their in their meals. But, but <laughs> apart from that, it's pretty much pretty much the same stuff. Did you ever try a deep fried Mars bar? I have tried a deep fried Mars bar. I was waiting for someone <laughs> to ask that, and uh, <laughs> intriguing. I mean, you know, after a night out, there's nothing better than going to the to the local chippy and getting you know your uh, your deep fried sausages and and chips. And it was uh, yeah, <laughs> a couple of good nights uh, of those. Oh, top four for Syria this season. Oh, top four for the yeah. Syria. So I think, uh, unfortunately, oh, you guys can still catch Inter, I think, right? What are you, four points? Just six now? points. Six, six, six points. Yeah, six points now, yeah. Um, no, I don't know. Maybe Inter and then uh, Milan, Juve, I think. And who's fourth? Is it Atalanta? Is Atalanta still fourth? I think it's Atalanta, Roma, yeah. one of those two. One of those two, yeah, maybe one of those two, but... Uh, I think uh, you guys will be uh, hard-pressed to catch into right now. They're in good form, and um, I think it'll be difficult, unfortunately, for you guys. Sorry, don't aim me. <laughs> yeah, it's tough now for that derby. Uh, yeah, yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about uh, Udini, uh, where, how, like, where your father grew up? Like, Have you visited? No, I never actually visited, but uh, I've only ever been to Italy twice. This is actually a good story for you guys. You guys it. will enjoy this. So when I was... 15 um this was before i moved over and uh 
my dad knew a guy from here who worked with, there's an AC Milan Academy in Vaughan or, or something like that, like a little training thing. And he actually got me over to Italy to train with, uh, to train with AC Milan. And um, so when I was 15, me and my dad flew over and I spent two weeks um, with the Milan Youth Academy, the under 16s. And uh, we spent two weeks in preseason. So we went up in the mountains, stayed in these little uh, like hotel chalet things in the, in the mountains and uh, trained with them every day. And um, they actually, at the end of the two weeks, they, they were offering me a contract. But at that time, I didn't have any um, Italian citizenship. I didn't have a European passport. Um, I was only 15. So, I mean, by the time... I think it was like maybe a year later I got my Italian, you know, the, the ship had sailed. But I mean, at that age, um, you know, it was a great experience for me um, being a part of that environment. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't have a, a word of English or a word of Italian in my vocabulary. So it was difficult, but uh, my dad was there and he would translate when, when needed to be. And um, that was, yeah, that was a great experience. I mean, uh, they all made me feel very welcome in, in, in any way they could, even with the language barrier. Um, the, the, the level was completely different than our, what I was used to in Canada. But at the same time, I fit in and um, I felt I had a very good good showing. And that was kind of my first taste of European football. And uh, at that moment, that's, you know, I was pushing my dad, you know, we need to get the uh, the European citizenship so I can ultimately move over and, and, and do this. But uh, in the end, it all worked out. But, uh, you know, it would have been pretty cool if I was able to to sign with uh, to, with Milan and, and continue there. But, uh, you know, a 15-year-old boy from Canada uh, fitting in with a, a Milan um, academy, it was pretty, um, it was pretty cool. Were there any notable players uh, in that camp? I think the um, the most notable name, if I recall, was uh, Patania. Um, yeah, yeah, he was he was there. But apart from that, I wouldn't know any. Um, he was the loudest one there. He was like the loudest, uh, the jokester. So that's kind of why I remembered him. And uh, um, but uh, apart from that, I can't remember if uh, there was any big names there. So, so you've uh, defended against Patania in training. Yeah. Yeah, but I was only 15, so that's right. Really, yeah. Um, actually, another thing I just remember, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang was in our academy, and the reason he left was I think he said that they're I'm I'm good enough, but they're picking the Italians over me, and I'm not getting a chance in, mm-hmm. and that's why he chose to leave for Saint Etienne. So I think you can completely relate to that one there. Yeah, I think uh, like I said earlier, it's very difficult for a foreigner, and uh, especially at the young age. I mean. Um, I, I, I told I told you guys they made me feel welcome, but I'm sure if I did sign, you know, um, I'd be getting the you know the silent treatment, and uh, you know they would have probably messed with me a little bit for trying to take away an Italian kid's place, and um, that's just kind of the way it goes. You gotta be mentally and, and, and mentally tough, and, and to be able to deal with that, and um, in the instances you know where you don't get picked and, and you don't play, and maybe you feel like you're treated unfairly, you just gotta you know stay mentally focused and, and strong and work harder to, you know, get into the team and, and to be able to show what you can do. So yeah, I think it's very common. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't just Aubameyang. I'm sure there's a lot of foreign players that uh, go play um, in other countries that don't maybe get the opportunity that they feel as though they deserve just based on the fact that they're not from there. And uh, um, I'm sure it's uh, more common than we know. I'm sure, yeah, yeah, that's specifically a problem 
Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask you, do you feel okay. like that's uh, like specifically more of a problem in Italy or in other countries? Do you think it's just the same thing? I think it's just the same thing everywhere. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, all, all around it's, uh, you know, they're, they're these players and these, you know, coaches, they're, they're looking at it as, uh, they're not looking at it as a player coming to help their team. They're looking at it as, you know, a player coming to take away a spot from one of their own. And uh, I think that's kind of the way they view it. And uh, and then obviously they deal with it by uh, um, freezing the player out and making them want to go play somewhere else. Yeah, I've experienced it. Well, not myself, obviously. I'm not a professional footballer. But um, when I was, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm from Leicester and as well as I'm a Lamp and I'm a Leicester fan. And you see like someone like Islam Slimani comes over um, from Portugal and he's Algerian. Mm. And he'll have a bad game and like the whole crowd saying like get him off and stuff like that. And then you have someone who's homegrown like Andy King, for example, or an English person like Danny Simpson who might be having an off game and it's a lot quieter and it's a shame that it happens. But yeah, the, the treatment of like foreign players coming over, especially for big like fees. Like I've seen it at Leicester with like Vicente Bor and Adrian Silva. Yeah, they, they get... I think English players, British players get a lot more time in England to maybe settle into a squad. Whereas if you're a, if you're a foreign player, you almost need to have that Bruno Fernandez impact from day yeah, one. You've got maybe one game at most to you know yeah. show what you can do, and if not, you're you're toast, you're done. And uh, it's the brutal reality of football in Europe, and uh, it's tough. I mean, it's it's tough. It's it's you know it's tough enough as it is to you know move to a different country where you don't speak the language, but then to have that added pressure that you need to perform and you know your first opportunity, or else you're you know you're not going to make it there. It's it's difficult. How'd you, how'd you like the Scottish weather? Like, uh, oh, I hated it. I'm sure Joe could uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, testify to that. It just means 90% of the year. <laughs> it's not quite a similar climate in Canada, for No, at least in Canada, you got the four seasons. You got, you know, you, know, oh, yeah. you got spring, you got summer, you know when it's fall, you know when it's winter. And in Scotland, you could have friggin' four seasons in one day. So, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it was a miserable bit with the weather, but uh, you'd always get a few nice days here and then, and that's when you make the most of it. Did you manage to tour Scotland uh, a bit while you were there, or no, no time? Tour, um, yeah, I got to see a bit. I mean, just the major places: Stirling, Edinburgh, and uh, Glasgow. So um, that was kind of what I uh, got to see, but uh, like I said, I've seen a lot of cool places with my time in soccer and. Uh, I've uh, played in a lot of uh, interesting venues, so that was pretty cool. What's your favorite venue? Is it the Ibrox? Yeah, Ibrox was amazing. Um, I played at uh, Celtic Park as well a few times against Celtic in the uh, in a couple of cup games. Um, but yeah, Ibrox was uh, a different level. I played in, yeah, that was probably the best stadium I played at. And uh, um, Burnmouth Stadium, I played down in Burnmouth. I got, uh, our Canadian 20s played England 20s in a friendly, and uh, we played in Burnmouth, and that was a nice little stadium as well. So, but who's the most no notable player you had in that Canadian under 20 squad, like with you? Who's currently playing? Mm, Petrasso, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a, we didn't have a very uh, a very well known squad. Um, right. Sam Adakubi's there with the national team now. He was kind of our left back. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Hamilton was our striker, but uh, right, he's still playing. But uh, yeah, we we actually tied that game as well. And uh, England twenties had a lot of good players. I mean, Jordan, Jordan Ibe when he was back at Liverpool was playing. Uh, right. I think the strikers were Chuba Akpom and Akpom, yeah, Orlando Aaron's. You remember him? He played for Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, yeah, they had a they had a, a good uh, good little group, notable team. Yeah, yeah. that's actually his result. His result, given that Petrasso and you were still uh, yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, that was a, a big result for us. We we ended up tying that game two two as well. Wow, yeah. So so did you defend against Sterling? Like, who were you marking the entire game? Was it just Sterling or? Uh, well, I was playing right. Was it? Yeah, right center back, and Sterling would have been on the left wing. So yeah, kind of on my side. But uh, um, Redmond was playing up top, right. so kind of dealt with him. But uh, well, yeah. he's still playing too. Yeah, he's still playing. He's doing well in Southampton. That's that's interesting. It's pretty cool. You know, so used to tell your grandkids, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot, a lot of notable names playing in that tournament. I, uh, I actually looked back uh, a couple weeks ago to see who was in the notable names, and I think uh, uh, Zuma was with the French team. Uh, Ray Chan was captaining the German team back then. So a lot of cool, but uh, well, Liverpool fan Mino Mino was there uh, for the Japanese. Mino Mino, he would have been uh, quite young, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, he would have been Super young. Everyone would have been fourteen, fifteen at that time. Yeah. So. that's yeah, so interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do we have any further questions? Um, no, I think that was it. And, and thank you, Luca, for uh, covering all those things. We actually learned a lot about how football in reality is. A lot of people do think, you know, it's glam and glory. And it's actually so tough for foreigners, especially, to actually do this. I mean, we're seeing this with, uh, in Milan ourselves with Tomori and Jan-Skritzer Hauge. I think all of you know, as he's been frozen out of the Europa League squad. He's from Norway. He's a kid from Norway. And we have no idea why that happened, but, uh, you know, he's uh, their choice. We don't know why he's getting the treatment he is. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit similar to what uh, Luca did touch on uh, about foreign players getting this kind of treatment. And, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation for sure. And uh, we're happy to have Luca here. But I think uh, that's where we'll wrap it up. So, Matt, take it away. Yeah, so I'd just like to echo what uh, Naeem just said, and I'm sure Joe Ridd and Samir uh, would as well. Just uh, thank you, Luca, for coming on. Uh, really interesting discussion, learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And um, yeah, thank you for um, sharing your experiences. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. You know, uh, love talking about football. I love talking about uh, the game and uh, my previous experiences so and it was a joy to share with you guys and uh yeah once again thank you for having me on and the great questions that milan bit was really interesting i you know i think all of us enjoyed it with the Catania one yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, almost, uh, I almost forgot about it but uh yeah that was a long time ago but it was pretty cool thank thank you luca for coming on yeah no problem guys thank you yeah, so um, thank you, everybody, for watching. Again, thank you to Luke for his time. Um, and, yeah, hope you enjoyed. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe and uh, listen on Spotify. And thanks for listening to the Short Corner Podcast once again. Yeah, take care, guys. Yeah, Have a good weekend. See you, guys. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you.